All right. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. My name is Matt Brocker. As you can tell, I've got some extra gear today. You've probably been seeing me around. I'm, I'm not in too much pain unless I'm really milking it. Um, I had some shoulder surgery. I'm getting old. My parts are breaking. It happens, right? So uh, I'm going to take this thing off because I think it's going to drive me crazy if I can get it. Um, Good sit it here. Yeah. If you see me wince or anything like that, I, I just tested my range of motion. So I don't think I can I, I don't think I can talk without my right hand. So anyways, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist. If if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open up to Second Peter? We began a study last week, Pastor Jeff did, and it, we're gonna go through the book of Second Peter, and it's gonna be all about spiritual growth and some of the things that uh, Jeff covered, he, he talked about this dichotomy, this duality of our nature. Once we become a son or a daughter of God, we, we, we have this competing thing going on. The reality is, in God's eyes, we have a standing of righteousness, right? When, when we die, if we are in Christ, he sees us as in Christ. He sees us as in Christ the moment we take Christ as our Savior. All right, so we have that standing, but we have this other thing that Jeff talked about, our state, right? We are constantly in a different state, right? Depends on how your day is going. It depends on how you're reacting to things. That's your state. So your state is flexible. It's constantly moving. And today we're going to talk about how we move that state, how we mature, how we grow spiritually, all right? And so before we talk about growing spiritually, we have to talk about birth, right? You can't grow unless you're alive, right? No political statement necessary, but if something's growing, it is already alive, right? Okay, so, so birth, then growth, and Christ talked to a man named Nicodemus about this very subject. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, so he's, he says, verily, verily, truly, truly. I'm sharing with you the truth, all right? Jesus is talking, so we know it's the truth. But when Jesus says, verily, verily, look, you got to get this, man. This is the truth. You can't see the kingdom of God, which we don't have the time for the study today, but the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. You cannot be a part of the kingdom of God without this thing of being born again. That is a spiritual birth. If we jump down to verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, verily, verily, okay, again, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, some people are going to mistakenly tell you that this water thing is baptism. That's because they didn't continue reading verse 6. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. This water birth, this water thing he's talking about is your physical birth. There's a fleshly birth. We all had that, okay? You didn't grow to this size without it. The spiritual birth is the second component that Christ is talking to Nicodemus about. You can't be a part of a spiritual kingdom without a spiritual birth, right? And we're going to talk about these things that we need to add to our faith today. You can't add those things unless you have faith. Born again, saved, faith. These are all synonymous terms. These are all talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. All right, so we're going to add some things to our faith. We're going to see that today. 
And as we see that, you, you have to know that you have to start with this thing of being born again. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So before Christ, you're not alive, right? You're, you're, you're dead, you're missing something. Before this second birth, you, you have no life, you cannot grow. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So, how do you get that eternal life? How do you become born again? Romans 10, 9, and 10 should be on the screen. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Again, born again, saved, faith in Jesus Christ. These are the same thing. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right, he, he can remove your sin. By placing your trust in what Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone has done on the cross for you, that's being born again. Okay, And so we can't add anything to faith unless we have that faith, unless we have a, a complete understanding of what that is and how that applies to your life. So that's what we're going to see today. Um, let's go ahead and read Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 5. It says, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. There's faith, okay? And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. All right, we have to start with faith. And then we add these seven things to that. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's ask the Lord to teach us what this is and how we can apply these things to our lives because, man, we want to be healthy and we want to grow, and that's exactly what God wants for our lives. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for your word, how it's, it's just crystal clear. You lay it out perfectly. You lay it out smoothly, and, and all we got to do is, is come humbly to it and submit ourselves to what you have to say, and man, you transform us, and I, I'm so thankful for that, Lord, and I just beg you to do that today. I pray that you'd be the one speaking, that you'd move me out of the way, and that um, all of us can respond to what you have to say. We love you so much, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so reading it again back in verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. All right, so the first thing we need to do, we've already said, we have to, we have, to have faith. But then he says to give all diligence. I have it on your study sheet this way. Diligence is a continual, conscious effort. Right? Diligence is a continual, conscious effort. It's continual in the fact that you don't stop trying, right? Your relationship with God is, is for the rest of eternity, right? But while we're here on this earth, it's up to us to do a little bit of work, all right? And it's conscious, meaning that it's a choice that you make. It's not a reflex. It's not a feeling. It doesn't come and go. It's a purposeful and focused decision of yours to add these things to your faith, all right? And, and, and it's... It's work sometimes. All right, so, so we're going to give diligence to what? These seven steps, uh, it's very simply titled Seven Steps to Spiritual Maturity because that's what it is, right? So 2 Peter 1.5 says, Give all diligence to add to your faith virtue. Um, just as a side note really quick, this is very, very quick. It's going to be a very quick flyover of what we take about eight to nine weeks to teach in ministry tools and training class, right? It, 
it takes us eight or nine sessions of an hour and a half to cover this material. And I'm was wasting precious time. I'm going to have about 50 minutes to cover about half of what we cover in that class. So, so we're going to get a really quick flyover. We're going to get the sampler platter of what is, you know, the full meal deal of ministry tools and training. All right, so we're going we're gonna to hit all of these different things, but, but it's awesome that you're here today because this material applies to everyone in the room. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you must start at faith. If you do, God expects you, because you are alive now, you've been born again, he expects you to grow. If you're not growing, you're not what? You're not healthy, right? That's, that's the first sign that something's wrong if you're not growing. Right, so the first thing that we need to add to our faith is this thing of virtue. Proverbs, or 2 Peter earlier in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3, he says that he's called us to glory and virtue. He's called us to this thing. We're supposed to add this thing to our faith, so we've got to know what this is. Back in Proverbs chapter 12, it talks about a virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Man, I, I, I've got me one of those virtuous women, right? My wife is awesome. And, and I feel like royalty, right? I, I'm the king because my queen, my queen is righteous, man. My queen is virtuous. So I feel like royalty. It says the opposite of that is shame. What causes shame? You study that in, in the Bible, it's always sin. It's disobedience, right? So he's saying this, this virtuous, this virtuosity, virtue has to do with righteousness. It's the opposite of sin. It's the opposite of what causes shame. A virtuous woman is a righteous woman. Mark chapter 5, verse 30. Should be up on the, the screen. The scene here is, is Christ is in, in a big crowd. They're following him around. He's done some miracles they want to see. They want to they want to touch him. Somebody touches his garment, and it says here in Mark 5.30, Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. He turned to him about in the press, the, the large crowd, and said, who touched my clothes? Here we see, because Christ is righteous, this thing of virtue in, in him is power. Physical power went out from Christ, and he called it virtue. So what you're going to see, we don't have time for this, but what you will see if you dig into a Bible study on the word virtue, you're going to find it's associated with power and righteousness. It's associated with influence and righteousness. It's always associating those two things. You want power in your life? You want the power of Christ in your life? You better start doing what he says. Right? Obedience is going to result in the power of Christ working in and through your life. It's just how it works. So I have it on your study sheet this way. Virtue is doing what you know to do and ceasing what you know to cease. Back in Ruth chapter 3, verse 11 talks about Boaz. He's talking to Ruth, and he says, And now, my daughter, fear not. It's not his daughter, don't worry. Right? That's just how they talked back then. Fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Boaz, who is a picture of Christ, referred to Ruth as a, as a virtuous woman. 
He then takes her to be his bride. He was a righteous man with a ton of influence in his area, and her virtue is what attracted him, the righteous man, to her. Righteousness and virtue are one and the same, right? Those things go hand in hand. And the influence of Christ and the power of Christ goes right with it. So virtue is doing what you know to do and ceasing what you know to cease. If you want this power in your life, that's, that's what you'll do. All right, so the second thing, we got to keep moving. The second thing that you want to add to your faith, first you add virtue, and it says then, and to virtue, knowledge. And knowledge in your notes, it's, it's the process of gaining more information. It's just simply the process of gaining more information. The most important thing to recognize when you start working your way through this passage is how you're to add knowledge and what you're to add knowledge to. He doesn't say, add to your faith virtue and add to your faith knowledge. He says, add virtue first, and then once you have virtue, you add to that knowledge. There's a specific order, and every one of these things you'll see is added onto the previous. You can't get them out of order. You can't put something else first. You know, patience is on here. You think that one's going to come first? <laughs> Just doesn't work, right? Or so... so so you must add vir- or knowledge to virtue. Uh, we see the same principle in Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Without a healthy reverence and proper response to God, you don't get knowledge. It doesn't work that way. All right? So this is the same thing we just looked at. So first there's reverence. You say virtue. You can call it virtue. First there's reverence, then, then comes knowledge. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8 gives us a little bit of a warning. If, if knowledge comes first, if lo- knowledge comes without some other things that are required, we get a warning that the results aren't good. He says in verse 1, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. In, in this instance, the love of God, again, fear of the Lord, comes before knowledge. When knowledge is first, it says it puffs you up. It's another way of saying it makes you prideful. Think about somebody you, you've had a conversation with recently. Maybe it's politics, maybe, hopefully it's not politics. That, that's just, we're done with that, right? I know. Who have you had a conversation with recently? You've tried to maybe sway to believe what you believe. Or or you've tried to convince them of something. Who are the most difficult people to talk to? I'm not talking about millennials. Sorry, guys. I'm not talking about teenagers either. Who, Who are the most difficult people to talk to? Somebody who already knows all they need to know, right? Somebody who's already got enough information. The information can cause pride. It can close their ears to anything that you have to say. Uh, it, it works the same way for me too, right? When I think I know something more than you know, I'm probably waiting for you to stop talking so I can give you my answer. And I didn't hear what you had to say, right? Knowledge puffs up. It makes you proud. It makes you think that you are somebody that you're not. God says in James chapter 4, that he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 
you come to God in pride and to gain more knowledge, he says, somehow, some way, you're not going to hear me. Oh, and by the way, when you resist what I have to say, I resist what you have to say. But I give grace to the humble. That's, that's the way God works this thing. Knowledge can't come first. It will destroy you. We get the question all the time about discipleship around here. Why can't I go on? Well, we've got some things to deal with. You agree that, that God says this is true? Yes, I agree that God says that is true. Okay. Why does your life not line up with what God says is true? Well, you know, I'll deal with that later. The worst thing I can do is give you more information about God. If the information you already have, you've been resistant to. You've said to God in pride, I understand what you say, but I say no. If I give you more and you say no, man, that's dangerous for you. That's dangerous for me. That's a very unhealthy order to have things in. And God says that you must add knowledge after there's virtue. All right, the next thing we have to add in verse 6, it says, and to knowledge, temperance. Acts 24, verse 25, this is Paul, and it's talking about Paul, and it says, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So here we see Paul, he's reasoning with righteousness. You could say virtue. Temperance, you might want to say choices, right? He's, he's talking about choices. Excuse me. And then also judgment, the consequences of those choices. This thing of temperance has everything to do with, with choices. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. It's another way of saying temperance. In all things. Now they do it to obtain an, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So when I see the term mastery, it makes me think of professional sports, professional athletes. My favorite is football. Uh, if, if you're going to be, if you're going to have mastery over something, you're going to have temperance in all aspects of life. You're going to make choices in your life so that you can excel to be the best of the best. You know, you see these athletes that come in and the, they've got skills and talents and abilities more than anybody, and they're there for two years. But they didn't work their craft. They didn't, they didn't make choices about diet and exercise and sleep and partying and finances and friends. They didn't make those choices. And then you look at other guys who've been in the league for 15, 20 years, and you look at their life, and it's like, man, that guy's kind of boring. He doesn't do, he doesn't exercise, his, you know, his liberty anywhere else, he just has mastery and is temperate in all of the details of his life. If he's going to be a master of that, if he's going to be the best of the best and that is going to have longevity, he's going to have temperance. He's going to make choices to, to make sure that that's the case. Temperance on your sheet is the process of consciously making choices to the exclusion of other choices. Very simple, right? It's just consciously making choices at the exclusion of other choices. And this is different from virtue, right? Virtue is making choices to agree with God, what God said. Temperance is making choices to allow you to have longevity in virtue. 
right? It's not necessarily God told me I have to get up early so I have to go to bed, right? God said I want you in my word so you can grow. Oh, that means I might have to make choices, right? I might have to make some choices to do and some other choices to not do. And I can't put that on anybody else. That's, that's how I have to, to live my life. Romans 13, 14 is a, is a great example of this. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. All right? It may be different for you than it is for me. I used to work in an office. There was a pretty girl in my office area. I could walk past her desk or I could take the long way. I had choices. Was it sinful for me to walk past her desk? No, it wasn't. But it, it could be provision for the flesh. It just could be, right? And so, if I'm going to make choices at the exclusion of other choices, I'm going to choose to do things that allow me to have prolonged virtue in my life. Because that's what carries the power of God in my life. Right? Why would I want to make choices that, that cause me to struggle? Why would I want to allow things in my life that, that make me weak? Man, no way. No way. All right. Let's keep moving. Verse 6, into knowledge, temperance, into temperance, patience. Here's our favorite one, right? This, this ought to be a four-letter word, right? Patience, that's, that's just terrible. Nobody wants to talk about patience. Romans 5, I, I, real quick story. I was in the Philippines a couple times. The second time I went, we, we went for a month-long trip. And towards the end of the trip, the immigration embassy comes in, this big old bus. They load all of us on the bus. They take us down to their offices, and they accuse us of being in the country under false visas. We were not under false visas, but they wanted some money or something, right? Somebody had made an accusation. And so we're sitting in this office. They lock us there overnight. It's, it's not quite prison, but it kind of looks like maybe the, the guard of the prison's office. So we were in his, his place, whatever, with just concrete floor and a couple of empty desks. We stayed overnight there, and I, I sat down and was reading, and, and I came across Romans 5. Verse 3 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We were in the midst of a tribulation. We had no idea how long we were going to be there. We had no idea if the next night's stay would be behind bars. You're in somebody else's country. You're, fo- you're under their rules, and whatever they say is true. We were kind of stuck. We were in tribulation. And so I, I read this verse, and I thought, wow, well, this is us. How do I glory <laughs> in this, in the midst of it? But God gave me a peace, and so I was just continued reading, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. I, I had experienced some patience in the midst of it. And patience experience and experience hope. Man, I had hope from the time I read this because I was like, man, this is experience. I'm experiencing tribulation and I'm also going to experience God's hand in delivering us from this because I can't wait. I can't wait to see what he does. And, and he, he did deliver us and it was awesome. It was crazy details how he worked it out. And then it was even crazier what we avoided when we were hearing stories of people disappearing in that very prison for those same type of reasons, never to be heard of again. I was like, what? Blew my hair back. (laughs) And now, when tribulation comes, now when tribulation comes, I look back to that day. And I look back to Romans chapter 5. 
And it gives me hope because my God is faithful and my God is powerful. And I can just wait. I can have patience. But I can't have patience added directly to my faith because patience takes time. And patience has tribulation. In your notes, it's endurance and long-suffering. Who's signing up for that? Who wants anything to do with those things? I mean, it's called long-suffering. Forget that. James chapter 5, verse 11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Who are these crazy people? You have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. This is not pitiful like a little kid who just got a boo-boo, right? This is full of pity. The Lord is full of pity. We're the ones with the boo-boo. He pities us. He's full of mercy. Do you not understand that you're in the midst of tribulation, but he is full of pity for you? He is full of mercy. The end of the Lord is good. And you can count on it. What can't you endure when you know the end of the Lord? What can't you put up with? What can't you have a little patience with when you know that the Lord's got your back? You can handle a lot, right? If you're experiencing some sort of trial in your life right now, I know... You know, we, we, we say don't pray for patience because then the trials come. Well, guess what? Here's the secret behind that. Trials come. <laughs> you ask for it or not, that's ridiculous. They come. Welcome to life. It's called growing pains, I guess, maybe. If you're having a trial in your life, look at this pattern we have and ask yourself, you know, I could, I could show you some patience right now. Have you added virtue to your faith? Have you added knowledge to your virtue? And have you added temperance to that? The natural progression when you do what God says to do is that patience comes next. Man, that would be awesome if you could have some patience, wouldn't it, through tribulation? Just follow the steps. It's there for a reason. It's in that order for a reason. And it's called patience, and it and it comes over time because maybe you're starting to visualize this. God gives you a little bit, a little bit of information, and you respond to that in faith and come to him as your savior, right? You've shown virtue, so you get a little bit of knowledge, and you respond properly to that. And you get a little bit more knowledge, and you respond properly to that, and it's cycling, right? And your knowledge is growing, and you're responding properly to all of this knowledge. Some of the knowledge you're getting is not just promise, or not just rules and regulations of what to respond to. It's not, you know, righteousness to follow and sin to stay away from. Some of it's the promises of God. Some of it is the end of the Lord. His mercifulness. His strength. The Psalms talk all about him being your strong tower. You're going to gain that knowledge as well. And so that's going to build into you. And you're going to be able to be patient because you're going to start seeing the big picture. Hebrews 12.1 talks about the big picture. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 
The race that is set before you is a long, arduous race. Right? And when you see the kind of race you're running, you see the big picture, you can say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's slow her down a little bit, right? Let's get some pace that we can handle. You see the big picture, it gives you patience. You can't see the big picture without knowledge. You can't get knowledge unless you can handle it. It will destroy you. And you can't keep the knowledge without the temperance. So when you get patience, you get to see this big picture. You begin to make wise choices. You learn the promises of God. And you get patience. You, you have the ability, the ability to endure will follow that. It's just natural. But you've got to do it in the right order. Back to verse 6. He's adding temperance to patience, and to patience, godliness. We like to rephrase this, God-likeness, right? What is godliness? It's God-likeness, okay? And God is righteous. But godliness is not virtue. It's more than that, because God is not just righteous once. God is always righteous, right? (laughs) You could say over time, right? All of it. He's always been righteous. So godliness is continued virtue over time, right? It's that the pattern of your life is virtue and virtue and virtue and virtue, right? It's always virtue if you're going to be God-like because he doesn't take a break from that. And and look, we're human. We're going to fail. But what's your next response to failure? Go make it right. Make the right decisions with what God wants you to do in the moment. You mess up, well, you got a chance to make it right again. Go make it right. We were in Midtown Baptist Church in KC, and Sam loves to say, man, it's worth it (laughs) to be right with the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. All right, 1 Timothy 2.2. Paul's given Timothy a little pattern on how to pray for his leadership. And in verse 2, he says, For kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. It's very interesting that he puts godliness with this other word, honesty. Because honesty is one of those things that you either are or you're not, right? Depending on our you know, judgmental attitude of the day, right? So if, if you're honest, I, I consider you an honest person. What if you've lied once? You know, if Ray Comfort's sharing the gospel with you, then, then you're a liar, right? What if you've lied once out of, out of five times, five, I've had six conver- five or six conversations with you, and one of those is a lie. What am I going to think of you? What are you going to think of me if that's the case? Maybe you're more gracious than I'm. I call that guy a liar, right? If two out of ten, right, you lied to me twice, two out of a hundred, you're a liar. In my book, right, I'm just not that trusting. Fool me once, right? It's just the way we are. Honesty is that way. Okay, quick story. Worked with a guy years and years ago. He was a liar. I'll just say it, okay? That's a true story. And he had been caught in lie after lie, and he liked to t- tell the big fish stories. And so one day he comes 
to work, and he says, man, guys, we had this four-wheeler rally, and it rained and rained and rained the whole weekend, and there was, there was so much mud that the four-wheelers were getting stuck in these puddles, like really stuck in the puddles. Like, you couldn't even see them anymore. And so what we, I was like, awesome, I believe you. We couldn't even see them anymore, so what we had to do was tie a rope to them, and, and we take this rope out and lay it on the ground, we'd put a flag on it so that we could pull them out later with a helicopter. <laughs> you believe that, right? I mean, that's a, bl- look, it, just being given some grace, right? I know nothing about ATVs. I know less about helicopters. Uh, I've never even got my bike stuck in the mud, right? I've lost a shoe once, but, but I, I know nothing. This could be a true story. Helicopters are capable of hooking up to things and, and lifting heavy weights, okay? So, but because of who he was beforehand, awesome story is just like, oh, come on, man, stop it. Stop lying. Sickening. You're a liar. Honesty is that way, right? You're either honest or you're not. Godliness is the same. Godliness is virtue over time. And again, if you failed, that doesn't mean you can't be godly. It means you have an opportunity to save godliness in your life. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. It is profitable, just a little. But godliness is profitable unto all things. By comparison, man, godliness profits everywhere. Unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So Paul's talking to Timothy here, saying, you know, Go ahead and exercise. That's fine. It's good for you. But what's better is godliness. He's comparing godliness and physical fitness. Back in September, I was really, really physically fit for an old guy. And I hurt my shoulder. Well, it's an old injury, and I keep making it worse, and that's why I had to have the surgery. I haven't worked out consistently since October-ish. And I went from, from physical fitness to a little bit of fatness. It's... <laughs> I hide it well with baggy shirts. And godliness is this way. Physical fitness is something that, that goes away the instant you stop. Right? You can't claim to be godlike if you no longer are godlike. If virtue is not a part of your life anymore, but it used to be, then you're not godly. It's just a matter of fact. If fitness is not a part of your life, then you're not fit. <laughs> it's just the way it works. All right? so, so when Paul puts these two things together, it's a natural understanding of what godliness is. It's virtue over time. It's something that must, must continue on and be worked on. And he says, look, guys, you've got to give diligence to these things. It's hard. Who wants to get up and go work out? Other than me, I like it. Kind of weird that way. So spiritual fitness is like physical fitness. It must be maintained. Godliness is where you start to see your state moving closer to your standing. Right? That thing's mobile. 
your state changes. But godliness moves you a little bit closer to what God sees as a reality. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want to grow to that place? You could also say, you know, it's continued virtue, and if virtue is the power of Christ working in your life, wouldn't you want continued power of Christ in your life? Don't you want that to be your life? To put him on display and what he can do? Wow. Absolutely. That's what I want. And that's exactly what he wants for you. That's exactly what he wants. Lest we make a mistake, though, godliness is not biblical self-improvement. Right? This, is, this is not a, the biblical self-improvement pl- program. There's, there's a lot of guys that have those. This is biblical self-removement. Right? It's death to self. One virtuous choice at a time. It's less of you. You can't be more like Christ with you still there. Because your flesh is evil. Right? So we have to die to self, one virtuous decision at a time, over time. That's godliness. All right, let's keep moving. We're in verse 7 now. And to godliness, we must add brotherly kindness. I have messed up my pages here. I'm sorry. There it is. Brotherly kindness. It comes from a Greek phrase, Philadelphia. This is new Philadelphia. This is the, this is the new brotherly kindness. I hope, it's, I hope it's as good as the old because the old was pretty good. Brotherly kindness, th- this word Philadelphia means brotherly love. The, the only time it's used as kindness is in, in this verse in Second Peter. So an instance that uses brotherly love is Romans 12.10. He says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Putting others first, right? That's important. The context here is spiritual gifts. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to complement a healthy, growing body of Christ. So you can see you're adding these things. Now all of a sudden you're able to build into others who are growing. You're not able to do that quite as well when it's just faith and a little bit of virtue and a little bit of knowledge. It's very difficult for you to even know how to build into other people. But as you grow, this then becomes a natural focus uh, of who you are becoming. Because of your healthy, and healthy spiritual growth, God uses you as a catalyst of growth in other people's lives. Man, what a privilege that is. So on your sheet, we have brotherly kindness is showing love to your church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, with the purpose of edification. Edification is this word to build up. There's, there's a word that used to be used quite often, talking about large buildings as an edifice. You edify people, you build them up in the Lord. So your focus becomes serving the body to get your brothers and sisters closer to Christ more like Christ, responding to the word of God the way Christ would have you do it. Your focus goes from continued virtue in your life 
to helping see others sustain virtue in theirs. Right? Helping them to see the Lord's truth and respond appropriately. All right, so following that, brotherly love, brotherly kindness, is, is naturally we're going to see God, add to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Brotherly kindness was this word Philadelphia. Charity is this word agape. I don't, it always looks like grape. <laughs> but it's agape, and it's used to communicate sacrificial love. If you look on your sheet, it's sacrificial love. It doesn't mean that, that loving your brothers and sisters in Christ doesn't bring you to sacrifice. We just, we just saw that we're in honor preferring one another. We're putting others first. But man, there's, there's somewhat of an understanding that this, this Christian life, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when I, when I sacrifice for them, they kind of they do it back for me when I need it. Right? There's some give and take within the body of Christ, at least there should be, right? I, I give to you when I see you're down, I lift you up, I build you up, and, and when I'm down, you do the same. Charity is everybody else. Charity is, is the world around us that doesn't know Christ, that doesn't love Christ, that might hate him, and therefore hates you. How you doing loving them? It just got a whole lot tougher, didn't it? In some ways, though, loving your brothers and sisters might just be a good proving ground because if, if I'm loving somebody and they know the word of God and, man, they let me down. They stab me in the back. They tell a lie better than the helicopter story. They do something that hurts me deeply. If I can love somebody that knows better, what about somebody that doesn't know Christ? You see why it's in that order? If you can sacrificially put your brothers and sisters ahead of you who know better but don't act better because that's us, we fail. If you can put those folks ahead of yourself, what about the folks that just don't know the truth? What about the folks that just aren't alive? They don't know Christ as Savior. They've not been born again. Of course they're going to hate you and react the way they react. Can you sacrificially love them? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The, the best place to, to see the fullest mention of, of charity. Beginning in verse 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. How you doing on that one? Charity on every account is selflessness. It is action to put others ahead of yourself. Even when, and especially when, it costs you something. Who, who put this best on display? Obviously, the answer is always Jesus. John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life 
for his friends. There's no greater display of charity in the world, in the history of man, than what Christ did for us. There's no greater love than that. And what did we do to him? We sure didn't earn it. We sure didn't earn it. When you can get to the point to where you can love people in spite of how they treat you, you can give without expecting to receive. You can give when you expect to receive pain. Man, that's a different level, isn't it? That's a whole different level. Man, I, I would love to, to hope, to believe that the, the instant you get saved, you, you just love people. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But, but how did that work for you? <laughs> I didn't do so well. I wasn't a people person to begin with anyway, right? And so, now I gotta love people? What, what's, I'm a work in progress, right? I love y'all, I promise. You see why this one can't come right off the bat? See why this one has to come after patience? Why this one has to come after godliness? You can't love like God unless you have godliness. It's not possible. You can't put you first. All the time. It can happen on occasion. But you can't maintain it. Not without him allowing you and helping you to build these things in your life, in this order, for his glory. It just can't happen. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. It's the ultimate mark of a spiritually mature believer. Right? That's, that's, that's what God wants for you. Oh, I don't want to sign up for putting other people first. Let's stay right here. No, I mean, you, you want to grow. You want to experience this life to the fullest. You want to experience what God has for you in this life. And when you do those things, he shines to all the world. When you put others first, he gets the credit. When you do things that you're not capable of, he has to get the credit. Get involved in something bigger than you and watch him come through. Make sure he's in it. But watch him come through and get the credit for something we just stink at. When you can time after time after time put others first when it costs you, he gets credit. He gets credit because we can't maintain that. The flesh is against that. It's going to fight you. Flesh cannot defeat flesh. You can't fake that. We began talking about being born again. That there, there has to be life first before there's any growth. If you haven't experienced that being born again, you can change that today. You can change that right now. And you can begin this path with the Lord. You can begin to grow spiritually. But you can't do it until he is your heavenly father. You can't do it until he is your Lord and Savior. We, we had... Romans 10, 9, and 10 up here. I'm going to read it again. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, he calls the shots. He's the man. 
and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is being born again. You can change eternity by responding with virtue to what God has shown you today. Do what you know to do, cease what you know to cease. Doing what you know to do is responding to the Lord in faith, believing that he died on the cross, was raised victorious after being buried to forgive us for our sins. And it says, it goes on, thou shalt be saved. He says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, that's virtue, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have a chance. God's, God is offering you a different eternity, eternal life with him in heaven. Or you can respond in pride. You can just let this be knowledge and say, yeah, I'll I'll deal with that some other day. When you respond to God in pride, he responds to you with rejection. James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself to what you're recognizing today. Don't let today go past and not respond to what God's telling you to do. Verse 10 of James 4 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You will be born again. You will have eternal life with the Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What an awesome, awesome life it is. It's not easy. It requires diligence. It requires work. (laughs) It requires humility again and again and again. But he is worth it. He is certainly worth it. Let's go ahead and bow our our heads and, and close our eyes.